Welcome, welcome, welcome to Armchair Expert, the best of Mondays 2023. You had the, oh, I'm Dax, you're Monica. <laughs> you had the great idea of doing two different best ofs this year. Yeah, we're going to do today's Mondays, Mondays and Thursday. Our normal expert day will be Thursday's best ofs because I wanted to give a little more time mm -hmm. to the clips yeah. and shorten the amount of them. Yeah, I like this direction a lot. I think it was a good adjustment. So you'll just be hearing Mondays right now yeah. and it will be longer, more protracted clips yeah. and we think it'll be more impactful. And it goes without saying or should that there are many on here that didn't make the list oh, that belonged yeah. on the list. It's not, this is not an easy. I capped it at 10. Yes, you, that was an arbitrary number. Well, and it we felt round. Make, yeah, it's really good. I like it, round features. <laughs> when I was going through them and when ultimately looking at this list, what a year. Yes. Really yeah. incredible. Yeah. Beautiful We're year. We're so lucky. lucky. Oh my God, it's ridiculous. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for listening. And thanks for all the people that are on this list because you're the show. That's right. Thank you. And please enjoy. We are supported by Squarespace. Guys, we have a Squarespace website that's just gorgeous. That Wobby Wob, you, uh, you built that yourself using all the templates, yeah? I sure did. Yeah. Easy peasy? So easy. The best part about Squarespace is it's an all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. You can get discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools, and you can choose from professionally curated layouts and styling options with Squarespace Blueprint. Plus, you can kickstart or update written content on any website, product description, or email with Squarespace AI. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial and save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with the code DAX. We are supported by New Balance. Whether you're going for your first ever jog around the park, getting ready for a marathon, or even picking up the pace on the last stretch before you get home, if you run, you're a runner. Whether you need shoes for comfort, stability, or race day speed, they've got you covered. Because the only right way to run is your way. New Balance. Run your way. Visit newbalance.com slash running to learn more. He's an I have gotten fired a couple of times. Oh, good. Me too. I want to hear about your being fired. This would have been stuff that I had actually auditioned for. The To Serve With Love Part 2 story. It was something they were doing in Chicago, and it was a TV movie, and Peter Bogdanovich was directing it, and oh, wow. Sidney Poitier was reprising his role. I auditioned for Peter Bogdanovich, and he said, yes, you should do it. And so we had a rehearsal, and they set up all of these little desks, like a classroom, and then the teacher's desk in front. And all the kids who had been cast were assigned desks, and we were all sitting at our desk. And then this door flies open, and in walks Sidney Poitier and sits down on his desk, the teacher's desk. And Peter says, this is Sidney Poitier, and everybody claps. And <laughs> Peter said, let's dive right in. And we'll start with a scene featuring Michael Shannon. And it was the scene that I had actually auditioned with. We do it one time. And I was a little nervous being in front of all the other kids for the first time and being in front of Sydney and all that. But I had done the scene in the audition, so I knew it. 
And I pretty much, I felt like, did it the way I did it in the audition, which Peter seemed to enjoy. And then when the scene was finished, Sydney didn't look so happy, and Peter walked up <laughs> to him, and they were conferring with one another. Oh, God. Oh, my God. I was still in my teens. Peter walked up, and he said, yes, Michael. And he gave me some note about how my character, even though he was from the wrong side of the tracks, he was still very charming and a really smart kid or something. I don't know. And I tried to process what that actually meant or how it would affect my performance in a <laughs> discernible way. And then I did it again. And it was basically like a Groundhog Day scenario where the same thing just kept happening oh. over and over again. And then finally, Peter says, let's take a break. Oh, this oh. is my nightmare. Yeah, so oh, the, my yeah. God. Yes. Yeah. And all the kids are watching all these tapes. Yeah. Yeah, your peers. There's a little craft service type table with coffee and tea and snacks on it. And Sydney walks over and he's making himself a cup of tea. And I realize that I need to do something. <laughs> and I'm also just really curious because the man has made no direct approach to me. It's right. all been kind of a third party situation. So I'm kind of curious to hear from the horse's mouth just exactly what I'm doing that's pissing him off so much. <laughs> so I walk up and I say, excuse me, Mr. Poitier, I'm terribly sorry to interrupt, but I'm really happy to be here and I'm trying really hard and I'm paraphrasing, you know. I can tell you're frustrated. I want to do better. I just don't understand what's happening right now. <laughs> babbling on and on and finally i'm like shut up shut up just stop talking just let him say something and so i stopped talking and there's this pause and he stares at me and he says i don't know what your technique is but you're weird oh and he turns around and walks away from me wait what that's so rude (laughs) yeah yeah. That's very rough. And you're yeah. 16 or 17? Yeah, I was like, maybe you're, 18. Yeah. Oh, you're weird. what do you even well, do with that? Like, Yeah. You have like, to retool my genetics. <laughs> Let me just go into the genetic scrambler backstage. Yeah. Right. So then Peter comes back in and he says, well, I think what we'll do is everyone else can go home except for Michael. Michael stay here. By the way, this is a really long story. I don't Good. know if you have other. <laughs> we have nothing. We love else long stories. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The longer the better. Of, you've got a lot of papers over <laughs> there. No, 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 no. Those I are just have, in case. I have papers. two. It's the safety net. I don't even need. <laughs> so there's a kid sitting behind me, and he taps me on the shoulder, and he says, "Hey, I'm just an extra. I don't even really have any lines." Or maybe he had a line or two or something. He's like, I actually work at a bank, but I, I was interested in getting into acting and I got this opportunity. But anyway, what I would really wanted to say is that I don't know why they keep making you do this over and over again, because I think you're doing a good job. Aww. And I don't understand what they're saying to you. It doesn't make any sense. Oh, what like, a, what oh thank God, God for yeah. that banker. And he said, I hope I see you tomorrow. I hope this guy's listening right now. I hope he's. <laughs> you don't know like his name. Ted what if, dances. Oh, that, yeah, yeah. Who knows where the story goes? So, okay, okay, okay. So everyone leaves. Peter says, "This is what we're going to do, Mike. We're going to go through all of your scenes mm. in the whole movie. Just me, you, and Sydney, and I'll read all the other parts." So we did that, and then Peter said, "Okay, you can go." Can I ask really quickly? 
are you even able to perform any yeah. of the rest at this point? Are you not in your head? Like, oh, feel like yeah. you're disassociating? I was in a bit of a fugue state, probably. A fugue yeah. state. But I mean, if I can lash back here, it wasn't like it was Hamlet or something. I mean, it was some crappy TV movie. Right, I mean, right. It was a real piece of shit. <laughs> So uh, it wasn't like I had to use all of my powers or something to pull it off. So anyway, I walk home, and by the time I get home, there's a message from my agent, and it says, you've been fired. Oh, oh my God. And then years later, I was in New York doing Killer Joe off-Broadway. Peter Bogdanovich came to see it one night with Sidney Poitier's wife. No oh way. Oh, my God. Yeah. What? And we're in the dressing room afterwards, and the stage manager's like, uh, yeah, Peter Bogdanovich is here. He's really like to meet everybody. And there he is with his little cravat on. He always wore it. He's like, just extraordinary, lovely, blah, blah, blah. I'm just standing there staring at him. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm glad you dug it. I'm like, do you remember me, man? Yeah. He's like, I'm like he kind of, he, he, I'm scared. <laughs> scared for Peter. He kind of gets a little ashen, and he's like, Yes, I remember. I'm like, that wasn't cool, man. Like, what the fuck? And he's like, Michael, I don't know. I don't know what he was talking about. He just didn't like you. I don't know why he didn't like you. And there's Sidney Poitier's wife standing there. And I'm like, what are you doing hanging out with Sidney Poitier's wife? And then I moved to L.A. Killer Joe is what actually got me to move to L.A. Because when I did Killer Joe... I got a manager, and the first thing the manager says is, you got to go to L.A. I said, I don't want to go to L.A. He said, you got to. I'll take care of you. And that was Lee Daniels. The Lee Daniels Wait. of Lee Daniels, the butler. Yes. Wait. He was, he was your manager? manager? Yes. What, what on earth is happening? What right? is happening? Sidney <laughs> Poitier has weird spidey senses that people are fired on. Lee is your assistant slash man. What? He saw the play and he said, I want to represent you and I want you to go to L.A. And so I did. And then when I was living in L.A., I went to Coachella once. It was the year that Iggy Pop and the Stooges played. Back when Coachella was, I might offend somebody. Be careful. Yeah, yeah. You don't want the Coachellas after you. Yeah. The Gucci's. I was standing out there in the mob, and the guy walks up, and he taps me on the shoulder. And I turn around. He says, hey. I'm like, hi. He's like, you don't remember me? I'm like, no. He said, dude, okay, you remember To Serve With Love Part 2? I'm like, Yeah. He's like, you remember that day where they made you do that scene over and over again, and then they sent everybody home? You remember the guy who sat behind you and tapped you on the shoulder and said you were doing a good job? I'm like, yeah. He's like, that's me. No way. Oh I'm like, oh, man, I'm sorry. It's been a minute. Yes. Frankly, it was a traumatic experience, and I tried to block it out of my memory. I'm like, well, so what are you doing? Have you become an actor? Are you following your dreams? He's like, yes, I quit the bank and I came to L.A. and I'm going for it. I'm like, well, how's it working out? And he's like, yeah, it's tough, but I think I'm making some progress. I said, yeah, well, good luck. Nice to see you. <laughs> so then a few years later, I'm going to meet Oliver Stone, read for World Trade Center. And I walk into the lobby and there's a cat sitting there and he looks at me. I say, hey, hi. <laughs> he's like, 
<laughs> oh, Jesus. Don't you remember oh, me? God. God. This poor guy. I'm like, I'm starting to think you deserve to get fired from that movie. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry. He's like, dude, I saw you at Coachella. Oh, my God. I was the guy, I said nice things to you when you, that day you got fired. I'm like, oh, right. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm an asshole. Promise third will be the charm. Yeah. I'm like, hey, you're here. Are you going to meet Mr. Stone? He's like, yeah. I'm like, well, you're doing great. You can audition for Oliver Stone. He's like, yeah, I am. I'm doing pretty good. I'm like, yeah, well, congratulations. And it's Michael Pena. No. 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 Wait. No way. Wait, also, that. I'm like jogging my mind of every Chicago actor I know. And of course, it's Pena. Pena. And he's the same age as us. Yeah, you guys mm. are. The, we're all the same oh age. Oh my god! Do you know I directed a movie with him in it? Oh really? Yeah, Chips. He and I. So oh, I right. ended up coming to know him very, very well. Oh. I can't believe that the fact was that Pena. It's him. Oh. How, and how sweet of him too to say that. Of course, he said that. Yeah. 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 Oh my god! Did either of you get World Trade Center? I can't remember. Yeah, who. it's him and Nicholas Cage. And I'm in it. I play a very stoic individual. They get buried in the rubble, they're first responders, and I find them because I'm a Marine. You're a hound dog. Wow, what a story. Fucking A, that was Pena. I like want to text him now and say I'm well, so proud of him. I don't know if he will cooperate. Well, <laughs> we did this movie together, 12 Strong. We were in Alamogordo, New Mexico, which is where they used to test the bombs. It's supposed to be Afghanistan. And we were all staying out in this Holiday Inn in the middle of nowhere. And the only place to go at night was Chili's. Safe port in a storm, Chili's. <laughs> yeah. Things got a little out of hand at the Chili's sometimes. Oh, bad. <laughs> By the way, you know, in Bolingbrook, me, Keckner, and Arnett were blasting the Chili's every night. That's where oh, we man. were at every night. Same set. You can't it's like eat nothing. There. No, it's... <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I don't want to rule them out as a... can Chili's <laughs> every night. <laughs> Arnett and I were eating the salad thinking we were winning. Like, oh, yeah, we'll just have a salad. We'll just keep it low-cal. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, no idea. It was like 3,600 yeah. calories. Yeah, with the little sour cream. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 3,600 calories? Why I don't not? know. They're so astronomical <laughs> when they started printing the calories on the menu. Okay, I'm going to tell you something, yeah, yeah. but if I... No, no, no. If this winds up on no, no, the no, show, no, 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 no. trust no, no, no. me, we would never ever. We do cut that. anything out. No, yeah. because it's actually very incriminating of me. Okay, actually, you could put it in the show. I don't know how he'd feel about it. <laughs> Things went a little south with me and Michael. Okay, because one night we were at Chili's, <laughs> and I did this thing. It's, I can't believe I'm telling you this. It's so mean. We'd had a very long day, and I was a little out of sorts. I think I might have had like a sunstroke or something. I don't know. <laughs> I suddenly got this wild hair up my ass to put a little jalapeno seed on my thumb. Uh-huh. And Michael was talking, and I was like, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. You're going to make me leave after I tell you this. <laughs> no, no, I won't. And I just rubbed the seed on his not on his eyeball. Like someone like that. And he's like, uh, ah, ah, and he was like, what did you just do to me? And I'm like, I'm sorry. Uh, I shouldn't have done that. I don't know why. <laughs> I'm losing my mind out here in the New Mexico desert. And he's like, we're going outside, man. We're going outside right now. And we went outside and he was just like, you piece of shit. What the fuck's wrong with you? I'm like, man, I'm sorry. I, yeah, that was... Uh, 
He's like, we're going to go. We're going to go. I'm like, no, man, I don't want to fight. We got to go to work tomorrow. It'll go away. <laughs> You'll be fine. The stinging will subside. Yeah, so mm -hmm. that's that's Hollywood, baby. Yeah. What a rascal. What could be more fun than working at that Chili's? And the first, it's exciting. There's like some actors from Hollywood are here. And now all of a sudden, the actors are on the parking lot. Looks like they're square about to fight. This is curious. This is how they yeah. get down. Well, he's probably like, what is wrong with you? Like, yeah. I was nice to you. Right. And now you're And you forgot help. me two times. times. Yes. Now I'm famous and you're now hurting me. Yes. No, it's, he's got justifiable grievances. There's no doubt about it. Oh, my Lord. I mean, you can put it in the show if you want. Okay. He would say something and I would say, no, 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 no. You told me that on October 11th and you got that script on October 19th. Mm -hmm. And I still yeah. remember these dates. Mm -hmm. You know, I had it all in black and white. And there was still part of me when he said, I don't know what you're talking about, that my body wouldn't believe that I'd seen the proof. Yes. Wow. And it was her saying it and, yeah. and having compassion. Yeah. That was like, oh, this was real. I hadn't eaten in a week. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. I had this conversation with this girl and we hung up and I was like, oh, I need a plate of nachos. Mm, like my whole body just went, okay, you can grieve. You're not crazy. You're safe. Yeah. You can grieve. Ooh. You can have nachos and you can have a glass of wine. And it was also a moment where I went, oh, I had like a deeper understanding of addiction and the people in my life that deal with addiction because I was like, I just happened to not get the gene. That's totally. all that happened because I would have done anything to make that feeling stop. And yeah. if I happened to have the gene that meant that using anything would have stopped that feeling, I would have fucking done it. And I just happened to not have totally. that. Totally. Yeah. And it was like my whole body got whatever it needed. It at least stopped that total panicked state that I'd kind of been in for a year. Did the switch happen in him, you know, like the light switch, after he got rejected by her? That's a really good question. And for somebody who's cataloged so many dates, I'm <laughs> surprised I don't have an, a perfect answer. Like he was also mourning another relationship. Right, perhaps. right. A fantasy of yeah. uh, I'll be with her and I'll be wonderful. And now and I'll I'm be... not. And so then two things are right. happening. He's living, he's being with you and he's mourning yes. another thing. I just want to say one thing, which I'm sure you already think of and thought of, but a trick I use is I imagine that a stranger at an AA meeting is telling my story. Because I know if you had a friend that had your whole story, you would be like, oh, my God, sweetie, of course that happened. Yeah. You fucking dedicated five years of your life to this person. Of course that happened. Well, I think I got so convinced that I was not a credible person or a sane person that I expected that any time I told any of this to anyone, let alone on a podcast with people that I have a parasocial relationship with, but that's all, that I would be interrogated and not believed and I end up holding all this tension in my hands. And it's because I want to reach for a journal, a computer, or something to go, no, 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 no. It was this day. I can, oh, no, I'll wow. find it and I can prove it and that I'll be called upon to prove it. And so as you were saying that I was going, not only would I have compassion for that person, I would believe them. This has actually helped me a lot in terms of understanding why people stay is that I know that no matter how compassionate and wonderful your listener base is, A, I know that there will be people that are like, 
girl, why didn't you just fucking leave? I don't think so. I really don't Some think people, so. I think that's I a think, voice in your- I, I mean, that might be something that's triggered in them. Maybe it's people who read an article about the podcast or that's whatever. That's possible. Yes. But equally, I think there will be someone who reads a tweet about the article about the podcast or whatever, yeah, yeah. who goes, she's probably fucking lying. I can't wait for you to watch the Stutz thing. And oh, I'm great. sure you're already very familiar with the shadow. That really is the shadow talking to you. That is the voice that we all have that says, don't dare be truthful, honest, and genuine because you'll be rejected and they'll laugh at you and they'll judge you. I don't want to say it's not true. Perhaps that's possible. But I have found out countless times through experimenting on here. It hasn't happened to me. It happens in my head all day, every day. If I go digging, great. Sure, I could find some stuff. But in general, it's not truly a part of my reality. I'm wondering as I'm going, oh, I feel certain I've seen really terrible dismissive things. I mean, not about this. I haven't talked about this, but I wonder if I have actually seen those things or if I've misread or if any time that I do, I catalog it as proof for my shadow self. Sure. Yes, yes, you know? yes, yes, yes. Sure. Yes, it just corroborates yes. whatever you're already feeling. But no, women get the why did you stay question mm. a lot more than I think men get the why did you stay question if that's even a question that men ever get asked i don't know you might be right but i do think that when men are in abusive relationships there's even less sympathy for them sometimes and it might be in a different way in just more of a but you have the power so why didn't you leave or like you're pussy whipped or something like that totally totally that is really true i bet also there's a even deeper reluctance to come forward with that if you're a man. I think a lot of men are in similar relationships and the shame that you already feel, not that one's better or worse, it's just A, dudes aren't supposed to feel anything, anything, period. And then yes, they're supposed to have the power and societally it's emasculating. It's complicated. Again, I'm not saying one thing's worse than the other. I will just say one thing that compounded me being molested was it's a dude. So I have whatever gay stuff that I'm afraid of as a kid. On top of the other thing, it's like, well, I can't say this because everyone will say I'm gay. Mm. On top of that, I was a victim. It's like, well, now I'm gay. I've done stuff with a man. I don't know. It's just complicated. It's for everything. Everyone's in a fucking trap. For girls, it's like, then I'm a slut or then I'm, you know, it's always, but just because I feel obligated to tell you that, yes, some people are mm-hmm. going to think that. Who yes, cares? Yes, it's just yes. not your responsibility. And if they're invalidating abuse, I have actually had enough examples now that the first thing that I end up going to is, I'm so sorry that you endured something that you were told was fine. So I take that back. I've read a couple things after this day seven episode we released. And a handful of people said, that motherfucker's full of shit. He's a junkie. In truth, I could care less. Like when I actually said my truth out loud and there's five people, I actually don't give a fuck. Yeah. There is something. There is is a force field around telling the truth. I don't know to what degree you guys talk about day seven more on the show because I have felt like I haven't heard you guys talk and I didn't know if that was intentional. Again, just this like shining beacon, heart opening thing of these two people having this conversation around accountability and compassion for each other. Deception and lying. But you used the word gaslighting and I remember thinking this was not gaslighting. I don't know. I wasn't there. I wasn't there. (laughs) 
But whatever it was, I was like, it this was. is okay, great, 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 great. Yeah. Um, because I don't know I wasn't there. And yeah. so there were things that maybe didn't get discussed. But there was part of me where I started to think about, is there another word that we can use for this kind of year-long chemical grade <laughs> gaslighting yeah. where I literally stopped my life to fix the mental problem that I have? It's a big word. There's some words that are pretty mm-hmm. big catch-alls and it is a gradient. But that affected you Deeply. Yeah, I mean, when you know something, yes, yes and you're yes. saying, I know this, and they're saying, no, what are you talking about? Did it rise to, I mean, you're happy to cut this out if it's whatever, but I'm very curious if that's okay. Like, oh, yeah. did it rise to the level of there's something wrong with you? With me? Yeah. You know, oh, like in those you, conversations. Yeah, like you see yeah. this everywhere. I never and... called you crazy. I think there was implications of that. Like, why are you always asking me this? Because sure. you're in survival mode. You're doing everything you can in that moment. I'm not to denying at all. No, I lied directly to your face numerous times. I will say, which was in the episode, was my tolerance for that used to be years. I could do that for years. Right. The only thing the long sobriety had bought me was it was pretty insufferable to do it. Mm -hmm. I hated doing it. Interesting. And it's what made everything escalate really quickly. Mm -hmm. And it was a pretty short time frame Mm -hmm. where I couldn't do it. That week leading up to it was like, I was starting to detox. I'm now saying I'm in a psoriatic arthritis flare up. Now more questions Mm -hmm. come about that, which now is more lies. So it escalated pretty quickly. I feel kind of put on the spot. So I know. I'm sorry. I just no, want to no, say no, no, not, no. not because of you. Feeling. Not because no. of you. Are we good? Yeah. At some point, you feel like you know what the answer is you're going to mm. get. So I'm not going to ask totally. today. Yep. Yep. Even yes. though I know. Yes. Yes. You just used a term that had never occurred to me in the context of my relationship, which is that you're in survival mode. That the person you're interrogating is in survival mode. That is exactly. The feeling was, I'm threatening your very survival. Yeah, mm-hmm. And even though there wasn't a physical addiction going on in that relationship, it's actually helped me to think of him as an addict in a way. To yeah. just go like, oh, there's something that's being touched that feels like it is an actual threat to your survival. And I've heard, not that this means anything because lie detector tests don't actually work. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, <laughs> if there was such a thing where it actually detected deception, that there's a phase when you're going through addiction that you could easily pass a lie detector test, even though you are clearly cross the threshold into addiction, you can just totally self-deceive. And I think that was definitely like that pre-awareness phase where it was like survival mode. And I think if he'd been hooked up to a lie detector test, if such a thing existed, he would have passed. No, you believe it. He believed it. (laughs) Well, that's- Because he had to, to survive. Yes. The best example I've ever seen of it is this show where these people have to be up in the Arctic and they're going to drop off one by one. They're out there for like 100 days living off nothing. Oh, it's called shit. Alone. Okay. I've heard of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you watch people come up with ultimately some story right before they quit that would have left them no option but to quit. And you recognize that their brain, the whole 38 days they're sitting there freezing, is trying to come up with a reason to quit that's not that their will has failed them. Most of them come up with these medical conditions. They're not real. <gasps> and then they'll, uh, this one, I'm having a heart attack. I got to get out oh, of here. I tap out. They come and they give me an EKG. He's not having a heart attack, right? But yeah, the addict brain, it's like a writer's room where the joke's not good enough. And you keep going, you keep going, you keep going. And you finally, you latch onto yes. one thing. So now if Monica asked me something about that day, it's like, Well, she sucks me out of the story. And by me saying yes, now the whole identity's in jeopardy. And now what? If I'm saying, yes, I'm doing this, now it's like, then I've got to admit I've relapsed. Then I have zero days. Then I got to what? I got to tell people on the show. Seemingly, my whole life is somehow 
at risk because she's the reality that brings me out of my story, which is all my brain does is come up with stories until I believe in one of them. The addict brain is so smart. It's actually really obnoxious that we can't take that brain and put it towards something like wonderful and productive and and humanity saving. A lot of addicts (laughs) are doing That's true. But I was just thinking about my shame brain will do that. I think that's even why I was asking about your journey with yelling at the guys in your yard. How long did your shame brain tell you a story that you had no choice but to yell at them? Because that's what my shame brain will tell me when I do something I don't like. Love. It will work so hard. I've never been smarter yes. than when I am coming up with a reason why my bad behavior was justified. Yeah, It's a drug. It puts you in an altered state. Because you're in survival mode. Because yeah. it's yeah. like, if I admit that in my shame takes over, I might as well be fucking dead. I'm a bad person. I'm a bad person. Yeah. I'm a worm. Yeah. Verdict's in. Yes. You're a piece of shit. Yeah. Walk it's of official. Yeah. You're yeah. everything you feared you were. Mm-hmm. You're going to die alone in a pit. We've all decided. <laughs> Everyone voted. I was thinking about you hey, going out and I'm like apologizing. I'm so sorry. Thank you. I'm-, I'm so sorry. I know that there's residual pain and hurt, and I'm so, so sorry that I put you through that, and I'm I'm happy to tell you the rest of my life. I hate that I told you I was not when it was clear to you that I was. It breaks my heart. And I'm still sorry. I'm sorry, too. That's not a good friend. Yes, you you are. (sighs) The best. Sucks. (laughs) That was so beautiful. It's a bummer. You don't get the closeness that I'm so grateful for without that sometimes. Gotta take the bad with the good. What was the second time he cried? It was soon before he died, and I was alone with him, and I thought, this is my chance. He was sitting in a chair, and I knelt at his feet, and I apologized for not being a better daughter. I apologized for making him worry about me so much. (laughs) And I told him that I knew that he had done his best as a father, and he started to cry. And I knew that he didn't like to be seen crying. I stayed for a while, and then I left. That's the best gift you could have given him. That's so lovely. Yeah. Am I right in that that came directly after you guys had shot a scene? This was about two, three months after he'd won an Oscar. So you guys did On Golden Pond, but he died five months later? No, he died five months after it was released. After it was released. So he he had won his Oscar already. Okay, and then you had that moment with him. Okay, I had a very complicated relationship with my dad. He was an addict as well. They got divorced when I was three. He was around, he wasn't, he was whatever. What did he do? He was a car salesman. Uh-huh. That wouldn't shock you, right? You could see me selling <laughs> yeah. cars uh-huh. somewhere in the Midwest. Could, yeah. He died of cancer and I had this three month window, which I'm so grateful for, which was, here's your time. If you don't do it now, it's not gonna get done. And I did it. And that provided a good deal of relief over the last 10 years since he's died. But- I've now reached a different phase of it, a greedier phase where it's like, yeah, I did that. And now I really want to be friends with them. It felt like closure, but actually now more than anything, I want that resolution to backtrack. And I want now time with them post-resolution. Do you have that feeling? Yeah. Because the beautiful thing you say in Golden Pond, which he wasn't prepared for, is I wish I was your friend. I want to be your friend. He hated to have anything happen that had not been rehearsed. Mm -hmm. And so I reached out and I touched him, which he wasn't crazy about either. He wasn't a very tactile person. And no one in the world would notice but I did. 
I touched him. He, tried, he turned away a little bit. I get emotional. And he ducked his head and put his hand here to cover his face. But I saw, I saw him tear up. It meant the world. I believe that those feelings that you have of now you want to be his friend, I think that that does something cellular to you. And I think that's known. I think there's a connection. I do. I do. I feel my mother and father very present, especially my dad. And I sort of know that they know that I've lived longer than they have and that I've done really well in life. You carried the torch well. Because especially my dad never, ever thought I would when I was just a fuck up. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. (laughs) Stay tuned for more Armchair Expert. If you dare. We are supported by BetterHelp. Listen, I understand that sometimes you want to keep things to yourself, process your emotions in your own time. But if you keep everything bottled up, it can have some serious consequences. I have therapy on Saturday. I'm really looking forward to it. I had therapy this morning. Yeah, you did. Yeah, and it put me in the greatest mood. We had a long, big day, and I just felt much better for having Because you were, some... not to out you, you were a little grumpy going in. I was. I was. I was to be <laughs> specific. and I received some texts Yeah, I was morning. locked out of my therapy setting, <laughs> which is this attic. <laughs> <sighs> But then you felt much better after. I felt much better. And I even made some apologies. Um, Talking things out can be so helpful. And if you want a safe space for that conversation, I recommend therapy. Check out BetterHelp if you've been thinking of trying therapy. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for any reason for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Dax today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Dax. We are supported by Squarespace. Guys, we have a Squarespace website that's just gorgeous. That Wobby Wob, you uh, you built that yourself using all the templates, yeah? I sure did. Yeah, easy peasy? So easy. The best part about Squarespace is it's an all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. You can get discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools, and you can choose from professionally curated layouts and styling options with Squarespace Blueprint. Plus, you can kickstart or update written content on any website, product description, or email with Squarespace AI. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial and save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with the code DAX. Okay, when did paying someone back become social media? What do you mean? Well, let's just say I'm a weirdo and I want to be messy and see what you're up to, like who you're hanging with. I can just stalk your pay app and find out what you're doing. I knew you did that. (laughs) No, I did not do that. I don't do that. I use Apple Cash. It's built into your iPhone, easy and secure. You can send and receive money right in messages and keep it between friends and then use that money any place Apple Pay is accepted. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Monica, please keep it in the chat. Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Okay, I know why you peed when you did, because we're talking about romance, and you're getting Mm. nervous. You don't want to acknowledge that your options went through the roof. When that power hits you, in so many ways, it's the fairy tale one's been having since they were 12 years old, that girls would like you. Definitely. I'm still not very good at 
believing that. But you have to be aware of what's happening right now, right? We're like on Dumois, like go to this bar. Cousin Greg is at this bar. Yes. <gasps> Tell me about that. That's, I don't know about that. What's, what's, what's Dumois? CNBC account? Kind of. Yeah, they'll post like this person was here. It's like kind of gossipy, I guess. Uh-huh. He was with a girl or he was making out with somebody. Yes. It's like right. shoot your shot. Cousin Greg is there. Oh, wow. It's yeah, because I own this bar called Ray's. I'm a part owner in this bar called Ray's. Oh, I'm in a- real life. In real life. Ah. So that was the first bar I was invested in. And so I would go there a pretty good amount. You got to keep them in business. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That was in July of 2019. So that was kind of as things were taken off with the show. Yeah, I guess it was a place that I frequented and they knew I could be there. You're so nervous. I know. I'm really, I'm really towing the line here. Because I don't. Just just tell me your fears. Yeah. Like, what is it you're afraid of that you'll sound like what? A player? (sighs) Not a player. I've seen it so many times where you say a thing and then it gets snatched up and thrown into the internet, Twitter culture and TikTok videos. You know, people who go to race to find me put up TikToks and stuff. So it is nice when I'm like, okay, well, that girl's looking at me or that girl's looking at me, that girl. Yes, of course, you're a person. Of course, it's going to feel good. But I trust almost no stranger girl that I meet. It definitely has happened since 2019 because I was sort of like, oh, cool. Like we're at the bar and I meet this girl or I'm somewhere else and I meet a girl, whatever. I want you two to talk right now. Great. Because you guys have the same thing and I'm always mad at Monica about it, which is she's like, I'm like, that guy's in love with you. And she's like, he likes the show. And I'm like, yeah, but you're you on the show. So like, what's the fear? Yeah, what I wanted to say was that in 2019, I was sort of like, cool, this is fun. We can hook up or we can date. It can be the common route of dating or just hooking up. Let's add, you're 31 at the time in 2019. Yep, that was fun. And yeah, Dumois would see me and things like that, but I didn't really care that much. It's not shameful yeah. for me to be with a girl as a single man. I'm exactly. like, oh God, they saw me with a girl. No. Well, that's the yeah. thing I don't think we should succumb to. There is this weird bent right now, which would be like being sexual is somehow predatorial. Right. I, and I fucking yeah. hate that. It's like, yeah. no, no. First of all, we look at the statistics and the younger generations are having sex less. That's not a good thing. That's a very bad thing. In exploring all these different power dynamics that needed to be explored, it did put a whole haze over anyone just fucking, which is a lovely or, activity yeah. for single people to have. Yes, or people are fucking. They're out there, they're doing it, but men can't talk about that they did. It's way better for men in general, but for me as a person of some level of fame to just keep my mouth shut, never talk about it because it is just this dance right now and you say one yeah. thing about like that was cool that that happened yeah. it's like whoa you know like this guy's a misogynist he likes sex with women yeah exactly right, right. <laughs> what an animal what a sicko yeah this yeah. sick fuck gets his, his jollies off yeah. by having intercourse with women but can i tell you one thing i'll just add yeah a lot of it's you participate in i don't know this about you specifically yeah. but what people really sense is they can smell if someone's shameable. That's also part of it. If I sense you're shameable, then we start up the shame machine. It's almost like when it appears someone's trying to keep a secret from all of us that I think is what actually gives it its fuel. 
Does that make any sense to you? 100%, it does. I think about a version of being myself where I just say like exactly what I do and I say it pridefully yes. and I'm just not there. There is too much at stake to be that guy. To find out. To risk it, exactly. If it would weather well or not. That's it. Yeah, I mean, if there's objectively nothing wrong. It's not like someone's not consenting. I mean, I think that's the fear that people put is like, oh, he somehow made people have sex with him. And that's not true. The reason they're posting it is so that they can come find you. Well, that's where we got really yeah, they're dicey. seeking they're it too. seeking you yes, out. Yes, yes, yes. They're literally coming to yeah. a to place meet you to, and to meet me and whatever. Yeah. And it is weird that I have to sort of not acknowledge that or be aware of it, or I guess I'm pretending to not be. It's very curious. Here's what happened. We conflated some shit. So I think in the Me Too movement, we started looking at power dynamics. Obviously, bosses, employees, that's a rough one. That probably does need to be checked pretty regularly. Although I do absolutely think a boss and a subordinate can fall in love. I think if you reverse it and it's a female that's the boss, and it's, I don't give a fuck. No one gives a fuck. Definitely bad situations out there. But we go to work, most of us, for 50 hours, 60 hours, 70 hours. On a set, it's 14-hour days, 15-hour days sometimes. It's your whole life. Really hard conditions, but you're getting to bond with people and see them do the thing they love. Having a relationship with someone you meet at work makes total sense. Not everybody's at the same level. Right, you got to pray that you meet someone you like that's exactly on the lateral line you're on. Right. Because if they're above you, then they're in trouble. If they're below you, you're in trouble. That seems a little insane to me. It's nuanced. I mean, I think, yes, all this can happen and it totally makes sense. But the problem is when the superior, when they fall out of love or if the subordinate breaks up or does something, quote, wrong, that can then affect their career because the other person has full control and full power. But it's that, very hard for people to separate their personal lives and their professional ones. I agree, but to me, that's the zone that needs to be policed, not the hooking up. It's human nature. I'm like, just saying, if you've had an affair with someone at work and then you guys break up and then you fire the person, that's the issue to me. It wasn't if, the falling in love. It was the how you then treated the person mm -hmm. post Right, but love. can we tell someone just completely compartmentalize. Like, I don't even know if it's possible for that boss, even if they don't fire, if they are cold, if they, I mean, yeah. anything normal, like a yeah. normal thing yeah. that would go down between two people in a relationship. If that's your boss, that makes you really uncomfortable at work every day. That yeah. sucks. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess you just can't break up. If you're going to hook up at work, our new rule, we just figured it out. You better you get just, married. You got to stay until the job ends. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And that solves okay. everything. We figured it out. But at any rate, so I think that power dynamic, which is totally true and needs to be monitored, got applied to anyone in life who has status, which I think is bullshit because someone at the bar that likes you because you have status, they don't work for you. Yeah, no, that's You don't true. have any power over their life. You're not offering them opportunity. No, I agree. But they somehow wanted to shine that light on anyone that just has status, like implying you could only be with someone of lateral or superior status or you would somehow be predatorial. That's the thing that I think got weirdly planted in all this. Yeah, you're right. I think it's complete horseshit. Well, it's also attractive to someone 
that someone else is successful at what they do. Yes. Yes. I'm attracted to people with high status. Every yes. human being is attracted to people with high status. Yes. We're yeah. a social primate. The notion that we're not attracted to status is preposterous. So then what you're saying is, well, you can't explore your attraction because it's based on this status thing. That's not how it works. Yeah, I'm so scared of this conversation. I I, I am so scared, Monica. You uh, can say everything, and we will agree. No, no I know. No, I'm with Dax, you guys. I know you're saying things that are true too. When some person from the world, not a celebrity, has an experience and has had an experience with me, they talk about it. Of course, yes. and then. It's their story. And it's not something they're going to keep secret because, oh, yeah, it was just like dating another guy from a dating app or something. I don't need to tell that story to anybody or lots of people. But when they have yeah. hooked yes. up with a celebrity, it's a great story for them to share with all. Absolutely. Yes. That's part of the reason why I've had to be increasingly kind of paranoid because if you have a hookup and maybe it's weird or maybe it's awkward. Yeah, or maybe, as many are. Which is the nature of dating exactly. and hooking up is that two people are not always good for each other and the chemistry is not always there and they kiss horribly and uh, they don't know how to touch each other and one's really sweaty and yeah. one's <laughs> not, they don't care. And one, you know, at some point, one of them doesn't want to be there anymore. Yeah. And yeah. that goes both ways. Remove the fame aspect from it. I'm a man attracted to or hoping to date a girl and we're allowed to fail at it. Yes. But when adding the fame back in and we fail at it, now they have a story mm -hmm. and they can say any story really because I'm not there to be like, actually, she was a bad kisser. Right. <laughs> or, right, right, right. Actually, I was really tired that night. And your character is so specific on succession. So- there's maybe an inclination for some people to want to know, is he like him or make yeah. that connection? And then that would make me paranoid too of like, why are they here? Are they here to see if I'm cousin Greg or are they here to hang out with me? Yeah, they sometimes say, hi, Greg. Right. First. Mm -hmm. They don't know I'm Nick. They don't know there's a person behind it. Right. They've watched 30 hours of me on TV. They go, hey, Greg. And I have to be like, oh, yeah, name's Nick. I mean, those are the ones that just really stay away from. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's a pretty easy filter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I guess what's gotten harder about it is you don't want there to be any disappointment. Talk about driving home from set, worrying about whether you uh, yeah. said your line correctly. Gosh, that was a weird one, or we had a bad vibe, or whatever. And if you just want to stop talking, it feels like I have to have kind of a breakup. You want to leave them totally good, no matter what extent you had a thing. And so it's just not for me right now. I mean, you're in a different phase. You're a person who like speaks their truth every time you sit down in this chair. I, I guess I would imagine I've never even done a long form podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is my right. first one. Yeah. I haven't spoken about the nuance of it and it's, I don't Scares know. you. Totally. By the way, I'm in a relationship now. Oh, yeah. So go. I moved... <laughs> You're moved past. on from this chapter of my life and hopefully for a long time because we have a very good thing. So much of me doesn't want to bring it up because not to pat myself on the back, but when it all happened, when the slap happened, I was triggered in a lot, a lot of ways. I actually had to do a couple therapy sessions about that. 
So here's my baggage. I watched my mom get beat in front of me. Yeah. What always happened before getting beat was you insult her. That's never happening on my watch. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I don't know his story, but I just know I was there. I was like, I can't say that I'm not doing the same, you know? Yeah. In fact, my therapy session was like, I'm not going to try to get you to not be that guy, but can you do it in the parking lot? Yeah, 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 hmm. yeah, yeah. And I'm like, okay, I think I can aspire to do it in the parking lot. Again, I don't know Will's story. I'm projecting. There was such racism immediately. Yeah. If Leonardo DiCaprio smacks fucking Tobey Maguire, we're not calling assault. We're calling it embarrassing. I didn't like that. But why I want to bring it up is what I hoped we would get to in Chris's synthesizing of that whole experience, I really didn't get. And I was really bummed. And I love him. I have so much respect for him. That's not what I expected from him. Yours was. When I read your account of it, and I thought you beautifully never made an attempt to tell Will's story or Chris's story. You're just like, here's my experience through it all. And then what fucked me up was just, I'm walking out here with him. Like, no matter what. Yep. No matter what. And that's where loyalty is yeah. fucking mm -hmm. beautiful. And yeah. you should hope that on your worst day, yeah, when you do your most regrettable thing, that someone grabs your hand and walks home with you. It's so fucking beautiful. Yeah. I was like, I didn't come in there as his wife, but I oh, left. Yeah, that's what killed me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I left even you saying wife. like when he said, keep my wife's name out of your mouth, you're like, I haven't even heard him call me his wife in so long. Yeah. That's a hard way to learn. That I know. Lesson. I was like, <laughs> but, but, I was like, God damn. No, like, that's yeah. a heavy <laughs> price of entry, but what an experience you guys shared. Yeah. Fuck all the other stuff. Yeah. You want to talk about having been tested? Yeah. That loyalty? That was it. I just have to be honest. That was the moment where I was like, this is my guy. Yeah. I can't leave his side. He's this so is lucky. Be He's hell. so lucky. And you know what? What's so clear throughout the whole book and him going on Red Table, he too. Yeah, exactly. There won't be a day. There won't be yeah. a day. You will die on this planet. There will not been a day he wasn't there. That's right. And that's what oh. we know. So all the no. judgment, all the fucking bullshit, you should be so lucky to have that. But oh that's why God. I can deal with all the judgment and the bullshit because... Yeah. You have a real thing. I got a real deal. Yeah. Ride or die. What you needed your whole life. You right. got it. And it's not pretty. No. It's not perfect. <laughs> Y'all aren't going to love this. You're not going <laughs> to like it. You're not going to love it. It's not going to look like, you know, your little Ozzy and Harriet. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. Like, you know, but guess what? Here we are. We both share the same brain disease. We both have the same kind of semi-tamed, wild, manic energy. I'm always happy to see you because then I realize I'm not the only one who looks bugged out half the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think there's just a lot of similarities. But I think more than anything is this power of partnerships. Your whole life is built around these very central deeply significant partnerships you have mm -hmm. powerful they, you, yeah and they yeah. tend to come from things that happened organically and morphed into something else and morphed into something else and then it's this realization of all i fucking need is us do you think there's something for me there is i can bond and share with Kristen, or in this space with monica i have maybe a harder time doing that with men 
Like there's probably been a lot of men that have come through my life that could probably have helped me in many ways that I couldn't either avail myself to or it would look like cowardice or weakness. Whatever it is, I've been able to accept women's power and allow that to help me in a way I can't with men. Yeah, I was in a couples therapy session with Susan night before last and maybe for the first time ever, I realized about 40 minutes in, I hadn't really said much and it was going great. <laughs> Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> and they were kind of figuring me out. And he was going, you know, I never really put it together. You know, with Robert, he doesn't really that. Bad. And I was kind of like, this is great. I'm not starting a fight to show that something needs to come up and be addressed so we can find some homeostasis. I'm not trying to state my opinion with righteous indignation. And basically, the good doctor, who is, I think, in senior, he's just that blurry voice. Yeah. Oh, I was curious if that was yeah. you on a Zoom with your therapist. Yeah, because he respects himself. He's not, he's not trying to. I wondered if it was your therapist. Me too. Because <laughs> <laughs> it like, mirrored my Mark? sessions pretty well. Anyway, Kenyon said, you know, from the outside, it looks like you had this series of missteps and then you were in jails and institutions and then you did a superhero movie and your life turned around. He goes, I track that as just a byproduct of you finally got into a relationship with somebody who understood how to meet your needs without coddling you uh -huh. and how to have separateness within your unity and how to have definitive black and white boundaries with you. I've observed this, spending time <laughs> with you and Susan. When I'm around the two of you, I go, these two were really made for each other. Certainly, Robert needs she her. Was, she was made for each other. <laughs> how does she implement boundaries? Can you give an example? Here's my favorite one, I'll say this. When I'm in one of my moods, she will not engage. She mm. will not follow me down a rabbit hole. Oh, wow. And it comes off to me as neglect. Uh -huh. mm. This was one of the big kind of breakthroughs. I mean, you'd think we'd have gotten to this before, but you know, like you hear it and you say it and you feel it and you agree to it and you sign off and you check all the boxes, but you still haven't processed it and integrated it. She is just naturally not prone to enmeshment and dysfunction and is stunning. It's like she's staring at the teacups at Disneyland. She's like, yeah, I'm not getting on that ride. I'll get <laughs> nauseous. Why the fuck would I get on that ride with him? Not to assign roles. And again, I just think relationships are everything, particularly if the relationships are based on a deep trust in how consistent we will be with each other. Doesn't mean that we can't fall way afield and be admitted back, but we're not admitted back with the same rules as before. We're constantly updating and integrating this thing because we're hell-bent on improving ourselves via each other. So when you find someone that really can do that, so we also try not to assign roles that she's the sequential thinker and I'm the associative mm -hmm. one because there are always combinations of those. Yeah. But generally, there are lanes. So it's not uptight. It's just super consistent. Have we started yet? We're no. about to. We're just, we're only, I only have three more. <laughs> no, I have a little. I only have three more questions and then we'll start. Okay. okay. <laughs> Speaking of partnerships, I initially started thinking of conceiving, letting senior happen kind of as a defense mechanism and an avoidance technique. I realize now. And then at a certain point between Chris Smith and 
Kevin Ford. And then really Susan had this moment where she goes, you know, you can't make a senior documentary like a senior movie, like the last hour for us, this very disjointed, nonlinear kind of fest. Yeah, yeah. She goes, you have to think of this in a three-act structure and you have to start thinking about your closure with your dad, whether it's monitored or not, because otherwise forget that it won't make sense to anyone who ever watches it. It won't make sense to you. And so that last trip to New York and the fact that Exton, our son, wanted to go, it was almost like I got to do it with a generation of Downies that are untouched by the ugliness of addiction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's almost like I needed to be filmed, monitored, and graded doing it mm -hmm. in yes. order to do it. And by the way, so did your dad. Yeah. Which is even deeper. It's wild to see how much movies is your dad's life. He couldn't frame anything outside of that. Well, that's what we realized, too, was he was only going to talk to us through the language of what film he was doing at that point in his life. Yes. Yeah. And because at the end, the film he was doing was the film about his life, he needed to do something else because it made no sense. Yeah. It wasn't a film he was doing. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, it was very Pirandello, play within the play, all that stuff, but... The crazy thing is being at the Castro Theater in San Francisco where he had gone up for one of his films or premiered or that might have been Greaser's Palace in like 72. And I realized that that film had screened there and now I'm watching a screening of Senior from the back looking at it on the screen with these kind of like set pieces and stuff back there. And I had one of those definitive quantum moments and sometimes you have these on set, sometimes you have them in life or you have them at transitions of life where you just go, just stand here. If you can understand this, because this is actually what life is. Yeah. If yes. you're lucky, you get to actually just stand there for a second and see this thing and you hold space and time and grief. Nuts. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. really beautiful. You gotta say, I've never taken drugs. I've never been drunk in my life. Wow. Mm -hmm. I don't drink, but dude, yeah. oh my God. Yeah. When I opened up this chest of porn and I was like eight, I play the flute and I learned from my uncle who knew how to play the flute. And he's a jazz guy, but he's also a porn guy. Uh -huh. And all those guys, he would smoke weed and do all that stuff. And I went in that basement, and this is a non-religious household. And remember the Zodiac symbols with all the sexual positions? <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Yeah. And there was in a lot of trailers that I birthday parties. And like, <laughs> yes. And all, I couldn't keep my eyes off the yeah. freaking Zodiac thing because I'm like, look at these people. Yeah. They're having sex I want to visit November. Yeah. That looks fun. <laughs> Aries that, looks like a good That was time. a thing in Michigan. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And I remember pulling out all these, this porn, being very religious, no one talked to me about sex. Yes. No one. My father, I've never to this day ever had a conversation about sex with him. My mother, anytime it came up, she was like, you trying to have sex? I was like, no, 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 not at all. I, I don't want sex. It was Who a bad sex? thing. It was, it was supposed was to be, horrible. yeah. But all of a sudden, when I opened up those mags, I was like, <gasps> I forgot. All the stress, all the problems, everything. I went into another world and I was like, that's so beautiful. It's so amazing. And I didn't even know what it was. Like, I didn't even know what sex was. Right, you're not was. even trying to jerk off or anything. No, because I don't know how to yeah. do it. I don't know right. what this is. It's just a I great distraction like, from the other racket. Oh, it's that's what everyone's talking about. Mm -hmm. And I was hooked. It's funny because you mentioned Highway 23. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember going from Flint on 23. There was a truck stop. They had these little X-rated 
places, yeah, coin operated, the little bookstores off the highway. Oh yeah. And I remember to get away from Flint, I would be like, oh, I'm gonna go work out. And then I would drive. And they were shacks. I can see all of them. Adult sign yeah. and you go in there and it was the truckers. The best of the best are in there. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> the workers would look at me like, what's that story? You know, like yeah. who is this black dude? I was just going in and looking at porn and it was a secret. I would die before anybody knew. I would lie straight out, but that also started guilt. So I was walking around a human pile of guilt. Yeah. And so my wife be like, so where were you? What do you mean? Why are you always checking where I am? Yeah. I mean, what? Are you scared? No, no. So I'd start an argument so she wouldn't ask more questions. Mm. Poor woman. She just, whoa, what's the deal? I'm trying to check in with you. It was horrible. My kids, I would be angry at them for getting in the way. And listen, it was magazines. Then it was on the cable box. I figured out how, as a kid, I had porn in my house at high school because I would take the channel and move it in between and it would come in clear. Yeah. Escapade channel. Yeah. (laughs) WKBD maybe? Yes. Yeah, UHF 50 at eight o'clock at night. It would be all wavy, (laughs) but that's good enough for me. (laughs) But this is nothing. They had subject matters that were like kid stuff, Cinderella, naked. Uh-huh. Snow White, naked. Yeah. You know, always yeah. fairy tales. Look how subtle this stuff was and that got into my brain. You know what's interesting is we met in Austin. Yep. Greatest place ever. You and I are on the exact same ride because we've both just popped. You and I had an enthusiasm for what was happening that I wish you could bottle. But there were a couple things that I was like, what's Terry wrestling with? Because you were reading a certain book I saw you were reading. It was kind of like maybe on how to repair a marriage or how to be a good husband. And I was like, oh, I wonder what's... I was like, I see you at sea. Yeah. (laughs) I had gotten sober for that. Well, let me tell you this. I went to the table read, supposed to be sober, then went out and did coke. I had been trying to gain all that weight to play Frito, ripped lines for three days, lost like 14 pounds right before we started. I did stay sober the whole movie. But I'm like in the midst of trying to wrestle that thing to the ground. And then I see you reading this book and I'm like, okay, I think maybe we're both kind of struggling a little bit. Well, a lot of time in hotels alone, I would be on the porn channels yeah, and then, yeah. then I would feel super guilty. And then I would read a bunch of self-help. Okay, let me get back to even here. Cause I felt bad about myself all the time. I am a failure mm-hmm. in my head. For both of us, probably, I'm just regularly checking in with how my mom would feel about all this. Oof. Oh, my mom oh. saw this whole thing. My whole thing was I didn't mess up with another woman. Right. right. So you could justify I, it. I would justify it. I'd be like, oh, well, you know, that's what men do. Yeah, yeah. I was told that, man, you can't be addicted to porn, man. It's just natural. It's just who you are. It's no big deal. Your wife's got to understand that, that you're just a man. Yeah. Now, if you agree together uh-huh. to go do something and watch something or whatever, that's fine. But if I got to keep it a secret, yeah. Well, and by the way, when I heard you talking about it and knowing that you would go from 10 a.m. to 11 p.m. Crazy. Wow. When I just told you the 23 highway story, what are you doing out here? Yeah. Like, to go that far? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where are you going? Yeah, yeah. The whole ride home, you're in a oh, shame spiral. In a shame spiral on the ride home. What am I going to say? Early in sobriety, I found it hard to transition. I got really good at... This extreme on both ends. I fucking disappear for three days. I come out of it. I'm fucked. I'm behind. I have a test. I have a term paper. I have a sketch. Now the ketchup. And now I'm a superhuman because I'm running on shame. If I drop the ball in these next four days, it proves that what I'm doing has to change. So this weird energy source 
from it. That's how I became overachiever. That's how you get to the NFL. Because that energy, it's like a bullet. The it's for your life. Oh my God, I got goosebumps. You know, it's funny because I heard underachievement and overachievement is almost the same thing. Underachievement makes you live under a bridge. But overachievement, you live under a bridge you own. <laughs> Stay tuned for more Armchair Expert, if you dare. We are supported by Sleep Number. Oh, mattresses can be a pretty big purchase. It's kind of like a home. You and your partner have to shop around for one that you'll both love, that's comfortable and suited to your preferences. Well, I'm about to make your lives a whole lot easier. Instead of hopping around from store to store, just check out Sleep Number Smart Beds. They're designed for you and your partner's ever-evolving sleep needs. When you see it, you'll know it's the one. I mean, this just changed the lives of my bride and I. The fact that we didn't have to compromise on the firmness of the mattress and the fact that it can evolve as we evolve is incredible. Sleep Number is great because it's all about what you need. You can adjust the firmness to your ideal settings on each side, perfect for couples. The smart beds respond and adjust to your movements throughout the night to help you sleep better. My Sleep Number is an 85. Whether you need something with more support or something to help quiet the snores, Sleep Number has you covered. So sleep better together with a Sleep Number smart bed. It's the only bed that lets you make each side firmer or softer whenever you like your Sleep Number setting. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We are supported by Taco Bell. Ooh. Oh, man. We often do two recordings a day, and we have this little nice lunch break that we enjoy, and we're always craving something really yummy. Yes, yeah, something fresh, something high quality, something like the all-new Cantina chicken menu from Taco Bell, which is mm. exactly that. Mm. It's so yummy. It has slow roasted chicken, the pico, that purple cabbage, and an avocado verde salsa sauce. Oh, delicious. Outrageous. The new Cantina chicken tacos, burrito, and quesadilla are the perfect daytime choice. Try the new Cantina chicken menu at Taco Bell now. We are supported by Vital Farms. And guess what, Monica? I'm back. You're back in the egg game. I am in the egg game. Horde. Mm -hmm. I love eggs. I love Vital Farms. I, I buy Vital Farms before, during, and after they've sponsored us. Yes, they're truly the best tasting eggs. No matter how you like your eggs, scrambled over easy or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. They're so fresh. Mm. Those yolks are so orange. Yeah, they really are. You feel like you're getting quality product. Absolutely. Trusted brand. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit-free. Can you tell us the new information? Yeah, but if you haven't read the book, you should stop listening now. Spoiler alert. Oh, you think it unravels if we know this? No, but if you don't want to know, I think the book is still okay. readable. Okay, yeah, so this sure. is great. So yeah. for the next, we're going to put 30s. Well, no, then we're going to talk about it. Well, yeah, tell me. I think it will make people want to read it more, to be honest, to get okay. more detail and more. Yeah. My parents sat me down a few years ago and told me that my dad is not my biological father, that I was born from a sperm donor. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. Can I be dead honest with you? Because I yeah. refuse to lie to you. Yeah. 
The book is seven hours and 48 minutes. Yeah. And I'm six hours through. Oh, no. <laughs> so I didn't know oh, that. No. no, no, no. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Wait, also, yeah. this is very relevant to a lot of stuff we talk about on here. We had a show called Race to 35 where I yeah. froze my eggs. Uh-huh. We talked to a lot of people yeah. in this situation. Whoa. Now, it's so common. Our kids, half of their friends are sperm donor, egg donor, surrogate, adopted. Yes. AI even. Some have some <laughs> fully functional <laughs> robots. Some are ro- yes, robots, robots in the class. <laughs> but my parents were like renegades. You know, this was 76. There were no sperm banks. They had tried and tried and tried. Usually they thought it was my mom's issue. And then when my dad became part of the process, they said, okay, now that we've seen what's happening, you have two choices. You can either adopt or do this new thing that's very experimental and kind of secretive, but we'll try it if you're interested. And so my parents... Took a leap. They got to screen the app? No, there was nothing could have been anything. There oh were no God. applications. There was no nothing. They, do they at least know the ethnicity? They could they say, we said, want a black What my mother parent. said was, we just want him to be black and we okay. want him to be healthy. Okay, great. That was it. But also, what did they know about healthy? There was no DNA testing. They should have thrown Parallel there. Parker in there. Like, good <laughs> Parallel Parker, healthy. Ivy League education, something. <laughs> no, no, no. no. <laughs> well, something now, way more practical. Now you, you can, can do all of that. Now you can, but back crazy. then. But you lived in Brooklyn. Parallel Bronx, parking. Bronx. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Bronx. Yeah. Parallel parking was tantamount to <laughs> breathing oxygen. I mean, uh-huh. this true. would have been a skill that could have saved and years. And I'm not great at it. Either so am I. Yeah, that's where they. Screened. That was the big mistake. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so my parents told me this thing. It was a family secret that completely changed my sense of who I was and who they were to me. And so a lot of me writing the book was about me trying to make sense of that. And answered. This nagging question you had had since you were very young, which is you felt like there was some distance, right? Some weird emotional distance between my parents and I. We were actually doing an interview together for the book and somebody said to my parents, like, what's your advice if a family is trying to work through family secrets? And, you know, what would you say? And my mom was like, you know, I would say it's really important to talk to somebody, whether it's a pastor or a therapist or a good friend to talk to somebody you trust. And therapy is really important. My dad was like, I disagree. So, oh, he was like, uh, the best therapists are bartenders. Uh, wonderful. <laughs> because I love they that. hear your stories, but you don't ever have to see them again if you don't want to. And I was like, but dad, where's the healing in that, right? Sure. Like the family healing, where's the reward? And he was like, I'll tell you the reward when the bartender's like, next round on me. <laughs> <laughs> like we if you hit him with such a breakthrough. Yep. Oh my God. It's kind of true. Oh. It's great. Yeah. And that's, I think a lot of what for me has been kind of the result of this book and this process really with my family of this secret being told and us working through it together and going to family therapy is, I think that would have in the past devastated me. I would have been like embarrassed and ashamed and would have been angry. And now I just see the magic in who he is. Yeah, yeah. And I don't want to change him. I just want to love him. Well, look, you know what's so funny is those kind of things, yes, all of our parents are extensions of our own identity and ego. And when they visit sad, it's always nerve wracking, uh-huh. but it's just universal and it's kind of sweet. But what's funny is you could brussel up against that he's being uncouth or low brow or something. What you're aspiring to in the book is knowing yourself is to be authentic to yourself is to be fully integrated with who you are right and this motherfucker is just doing it right he is who he is in some ways 
I had to deal with the betrayal of my mother differently than my father because in my opinion, my mom actually kept a secret from me. But my dad truly bought into this alternate reality that I was his and he was mine. And there was no secret for him. I didn't really understand denial till being in this process with him, but it's so beautiful. It was just like that thing got locked in a section, I don't know, out of his brain, out in the world. And there was no secret to keep from me because it just didn't happen. He just placed that somewhere. Yeah. When I sat with my parents and I said, I just spoke to the doctor. He said that there's a 0.000001% chance that we are biologically related. He's like... There's a chance. <laughs> right. Like that's his last one million yes, full. Yes, that is his. <laughs> that is weird. truth. You know, but I would imagine if I were him, I see the motivation, which is I meet you, I fall in love with you, I love caring for you and being in your life, and I can feel how much you love me. And the scariest thing in the world would be that you would find out I'm not your real dad, and you wouldn't love me as much as you do. That's a powerful motivation. I know that their choice, particularly because it was 77, it wasn't the world we live in today where everybody's freezing eggs and going through catalogs of donor sperm. They were renegades. They were so courageous and so innovative and took this risk. And I know that their decision to not tell me was not meant to hurt me. It was to try to protect me. They made a call and it was the wrong one, maybe. Well, or maybe was it, was, it, was, it was what it was. You know, back then the doctor would say like, you have this sperm and then go home and have sex and then there's plausible deniability and nobody thought there would ever be uh, DNA tests. So for him, he really was like, that kid is mine. Yeah, okay, that lovely. Yeah. yeah, so everyone's trying Everybody's to foster this yeah. idea. And I think for her, it, re- it was like, why tell her? Why stress her out? And then she says, then when I was in my 20s, she was going to tell me, but I had this crazy eating disorder. And she was like, I'm not going to tell her now. She's crazy enough. There was never a right time to tell me. It's really complicated. Look, you are who you are and we love who you are and you like who you are and your children love who you are. very kind. I can relate to, I wouldn't want to erase any of my trauma. No, it's the journey. But secrets are palpable. You feel them. We're as sick as our secrets. Yeah. You feel them even if you don't know what they are. There's that sense of not feeling safe, feeling unmoored. I knew that I wasn't getting the real. I didn't trust the environment that I was raised in. And I'm sure had a very hard time, probably still have a hard time trusting anyone. Yeah, but the gift of them being forced really into telling me is that it has, I think, given me back a sense of trusting myself. I feel like in these years, I've been able to mend that pathway with my own intuition to say like, I fucking knew. Yes. I was right. I'm not crazy. It can reconfirm the trust with yourself, which is great. Huge. And that is to me the most important one. That's the huge gift of what they've given me is this ability to trust myself, to know the truth of myself. Whenever anyone asks me what my favorite job was, I always say parenthood. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. For what reasons? It was the warmest reception. Well, we were all huge you guys, fans. <laughs> there were signs in the hair and makeup trailer, welcome uh, to parenthood, Lila Garrett. Oh, I mean, like, I just was cute. received so warmly and lovingly, and I just felt so at home so quickly. And it's also where I found confidence because one of the directors, I'll never forget, when I would get notes, I used to respond with, oh, I'm so sorry. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. And I remember he pulled me aside one day and he was like, when I give you a note, it's not because you did anything wrong. You have nothing to be sorry about. I'm telling you because I know that you can do what I'm asking you to do and you belong here. 
You're here because you're good. Was that Larry Trailing? Yeah. Oh, oh God. I'm going to cry now. And I cried. Oh, he looked at me and he was like, you're good, Minka. He's the most beautiful person. And I just was like, I am? I never felt good. I never felt worthy. I never felt like I belonged here. Yeah. I just felt like such an imposter. From then on, I learned to go, yeah, you got it. Let's try that. Yeah. As opposed to, I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's so subtle, but it's so deep. The layers of unworthiness. I'm still shedding. Will you tell Monica the bag lady sketch? Sure. My mom really loved musical theater and musicals, in particular West Side Story. She wanted to be an actress and it didn't really work out. So she would choreograph her own sort of dance numbers sometimes with girls to West Side Story. And sometimes she would have her own sketches. So one of them, the bag lady sketch, she would burst into the club dressed in rags Uh and just start making a bunch of ruckus. (laughs) Knocking shit over. Knocking shit over and going, what's this? Drinking out of people's drinks. Yeah, yeah, take a sip, throwing it. Uh Oh, (laughs) sizing up someone giving a lap dance. You're cute. Uh, uh, Yeah. I can do this. Oh my God. You know, and everyone being like, what is going on? Yeah, completely. But people there were actually calling for security to remove Uh, the lady. Well, yeah, the patrons would be very confused. Meanwhile, of course, the DJ and the girls all know it's Mo. (laughs) And then eventually she'd be like, let me up there. I can do this. They'd be like, and the rags right, would come off. Her. And then, you know, it'd be like the ba-da-da-da-da. You know, oh, like, yes. <laughs> and then eventually once enough layers have come off and you see this gorgeous 5'11 blonde bombshell start moving a little bit more sexy. Less unhoused, more sexy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. She was playing with character. Because I see a lot yeah. of nudity on the streets, to be honest. Me too. Yeah, yeah. I see yeah. all kinds of nudity. It's not always my favorite kind. Aww. But of course, at that point, then little me was taken back into the dressing room so mom could finish her show. Yeah. But by protective co-workers, mm-hmm. not necessarily that your mother figured out how perfectly to shield that part of it. Maybe my mom was like, bring her back before I become totally naked and gyrating in someone's face. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But then Minka falls asleep inside the strip club. And then when she wakes up, she has no clue where she's at. She's on a couch somewhere. Oh, boy. Which is kind of regular, right? Yeah. And then she tries to wake her mother up to take her to school. She's a little girl who knows she needs to go to school. Wants to go to school. It's the only place that feels normal normal and safe and fun and free. There's good food. There's predictable adults. These teachers act yeah. pretty much the same yeah. all day. What a mystery. So nice. Yeah. <laughs> what planet yeah. are they yeah. from? Yeah, I want to go there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So were you like there. a super good student because of that? Yes, I really was until I got to high school because I ended up going to high school in a place where it wasn't cool to be a super good student. Right. I wanted to fit in with the cool girls. I didn't have the confidence to not need that. Same. I get it. (laughs) There's a line in there early on. Let me just say you wake up in this apartment and she can't get her mom to wake up. And then the dude who the mom's slept with that night has the decency to take you in a cab to school. Yeah. Total stranger. You're just with strangers all the time. But you have a line that says, I was an observant child Noting every shift in her, an amateur meteorologist trying to get a bead on the change from high pressure to low. You're living with an addict who's either at a drug-fueled 11, Mm -hmm. enthusiastic, Mm -hmm. or coming down or dealing with the wreckage of. There's really probably no zone in between. High highs and low lows. Yes. As high as you go is as low as you go. Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah. 
Yes, learning all of these little spidey senses, as I call them. Man, do you get good at predicting behavior, don't you? Way too good. You become hypervigilant as an adult, always looking for danger. It gets you in trouble as an adult because you're not really in danger anymore, but you're assuming everyone's going to trick you or lying to you or going to hurt you or abandon you. And so you're looking for signs of it so that you can go, ah, I'll do it first. An example of that, your phone call yesterday. Yeah, tell me about that. You were just like, I'm almost finished with it. And I was like, oh, oh, that's okay. We don't have to do this. I'll I let know, you know that broke my heart after oh, we hung for today? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. my God. I was like, oh, that's okay. You don't have to read it. And also, if you haven't read it, we don't have to do the thing. We can postpone it. And he was like, what are you talking about? I'm yeah. Like, I'm letting you off the hook before you have to ask to be let off the hook. You're free. And I hung up from them like, Minka, Jesus, mm-hmm. relax. No, I knew all that when I hung up. Because I just said like, oh, my God, I'm halfway through your book. I'm on my way home. I'm going to read the rest of it. But it's so incredible. I just want to tell you how impactful it is. Yeah. And you interpret that as me saying like, we need to postpone or potentially I'm yes, 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 yes. <laughs> yes. That was great. <laughs> 48, well, 42, you won't be 42. Yeah. Yeah. Still yeah. doing it. But at least we're here talking about it and we have the awareness of it. Right. So you can go, ah, I'm doing that thing. Yeah. You were kind of close with him, yeah? Or you guys had racing in common? He's been gone long enough that I will tell you, he and I were pretty much best friends. You were? Yeah, pretty much best friends. We were like brothers. Oh, my God. Awesome. No, I hardly knew him. Oh! We're so gullible. Oh, my, <laughs> oh my God. God. We really, you really got us. Not only, you know, fuck you, because not only <laughs> did you get me. So much for <laughs> the circle of friendship. <laughs> not only did you get me, you actually, like, wrenched my heart. Yeah. It grew two sizes. I was like, Dave okay, actually let's had try it again. Con- <laughs> let's try it again. Paul and I. Uh, we're acquaintances. We got to be friends. You did. Yeah. But I would never presume to insinuate myself into his life. I knew him. He and I purchased a car together that I still have, the Volvo wagon. We knew each other from racing. We talked on the phone. So we were friendly. I went up to the uh, Hole in the Wall gang once with Paul, a life-changing moment to be sure. I always felt, not that my opinion counts much, but that's the way people are supposed to be, was Paul. So once you announced you were going to retire, you had a year of doing the show where people, when they were on, they pretty much knew this was going to be Mm -hmm. it. I mean, the level of discomfort you experienced while people told you how much you meant to them was obvious. I can tell that's really not your favorite thing to receive. Ironically, right? We just want validation and approval. And Mm -hmm. then when it comes, Mm -hmm. it's painful for some reason. Right. So I didn't say any of this until the end, but we're at the end. You're the first thing I started watching that I became obsessed with, you know, probably 11 years old. I had zero dreams of being in show business. I didn't want to be a comedian or anything, but I would practice being interviewed by you in the mirror all through my teens. I would just think about what it'd be like to get interviewed by you. And the reason is you were a reverent, you weren't a jock, but women liked you. You were sarcastic, but you weirdly stood up for things that you valued. You were incredibly brave, but not machismo. You really gave so many of us permission to like who we were, identified with you. I was like, oh my God, maybe through being smart and thoughtful, I can have value and be loved. And it was so encouraging. And I dreamt about being on your show my whole life. I was on your show. I've been in show business for 20 years. It was the best moment of my whole experience. I know you hate that. He is scowling. That was 
it for me. Sitting there staring at your real face, you were kind to me. I could tell you kind of liked me and I know when you like people and you don't. It felt so incredible that when I look back on it, that's the moment for me. And I just need to say to you, in my wildest dreams, never thought you'd then come to my house and let me interview you. And this will be with me in my heart forever. And I just want to thank you. Well, Monica, don't you have something to add? <laughs> you know, I got the research yesterday and I was like, oh, okay, this is interesting. This guy's in comedy. No. No, what, uh, I it's will, a dream. It's a dream come true. That's very, very sweet. And it's meaningful because connected to your childhood, that's pretty powerful. And why it's meaningful to me is because we've been here in this room for, geez, it seems like six, seven hours. But... I kind of feel pretty strongly about this experience. And so to have you say that to me now is very nice. Thank you. Yeah, I know it hurts, but I just want to You know, it, it doesn't <laughs> hurt. Something about the hospitality and the fun that I've enjoyed here makes it palatable and believable. Was it as good as that dinner with Morgan Freeman? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Dex, yeah, yeah. and thank you, Monica. Thank you. Yeah. 